Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. Happy New Year! Hope 2024 will bring peace, happiness and healing to the world. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. Discordance between conventional and detailed lymph node analysis in resected, node-negative pancreatic or ampullary adenocarcinomas and association with adverse survival outcomes, a single institution analysis. Objective. To assess the frequency of occult metastases, OM, in patients with resected pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, PDAC, or ampullary adenocarcinoma, AA, discovered on detailed pathologic examination on lymph nodes, LNs, previously considered negative by conventional analysis, and to examine the association between OM and overall survival, OS. Background. Poor prognosis of patients with no pathologic evidence of lane metastases may be due to OM that is not detected on conventional lane analysis. Methods. Patients with lane-negative resected TAC or AA, 2010-2020, were identified from our institutional database. Original hematoxylin and eosin, H and E, slides were reanalyzed. In addition, selected lane were analyzed by H and E, 3 section slash lane, and pancytocarotin, AE1AE3-PCK26, immunohistochemistry. Results. A total of 598 LNs from 74 lane negative patients were re-examined. 19 patients, 25.7%, had OM, 9, 47.4%, were found with immunohistochemistry but not on H&E. The number of positive LNs ranged from 1 to 3. No clinico-demographic, pathologic, or treatment-related factors were associated with OM. On conventional lane analysis, 319 patients, 15.8%, had stage IA, 934, 26.5%, had stage IV, and 719, 36.8%, had stage IA. On detailed lane analysis, 1119 patients, 57.9%, were upstaged to IIB, whereas 819, 42.1%, had isolated tumor cells only, and 0I+. OM was associated with shorter OS, median OS, 22.3 versus 50.5 months, hazard ratio equals 3.95, 95% C, 1.58 to 9.86. Conclusions There is a 26% discordance rate between conventional and detailed lane pathologic analysis in resected TAC and AA. The presence of OM is associated with shorter OS. Distal pancreatectomy with unblocked celiac axis resection, DPCAR, for locally advanced pancreatic cancer, a safe and effective procedure. Objective To determine perioperative and oncologic outcomes after distal pancreatectomy with unblocked resection of the celiac axis, DPCAR. Background 
DPCAR can be used in a selective group of patients to resect locally advanced pancreatic cancer involving the celiac axis or common hepatic artery without arterial reconstruction by preserving retrograde blood flow via the gastroduodenal artery to the liver and stomach. Methods We analyzed all consecutive patients who had undergone DPCAR between May 2003 and April 2022 at a tertiary hospital specialized in pancreatic surgery and present one of the largest single-center studies. Results A total of 71 patients underwent DPCAR. Additional venous resection, VR, of the mesenterico-portal axis was performed in 31 patients, 44%, and multivisceral resection, MVR, in 42 patients, 59%. Margin-free, R0, resection was achieved in 40 patients, 56%. The overall 90-day mortality rate was 8.4% for the entire patient cohort. After accumulated experience of 16 cases, the 90-day mortality dropped to 3.6% in the following 55 patients. Extended procedures with plus, additional MVR with or without, plus slash minus, VR resulted in higher major morbidity, Clavin Dindo greater than or equal Toyeb, standard DPCAR, 19%, DPCAR plus MVR plus slash minus VR, 36%, and higher 90-day mortality, standard DPCAR, 0%, DPCAR plus MVR plus slash minus VR, 11%. Median overall survival after DPCAR was 28 months. Conclusions DPCAR is a safe and effective procedure but requires experience. Frequently, surgical resection has to be extended with MVR and VR to accomplish tumor resection, which results in promising oncologic outcomes. However, extended resections were associated with increased morbidity and mortality. Pathological nodal and vascular involvement significantly impacts the recurrence risk in different time frames in patients with resectable and borderline resectable pancreatic cancer, long-term conditional recurrence-free survival analysis and the setting of a neoadjuvant treatment strategy. Objective To investigate the long-term dynamics of recurrence risk and the significance of prognostic variables using conditional recurrence-free survival, CRFS, analysis and neoadjuvant treatment, NAT, for resectable, R, and borderline resectable, BR, pancreatic cancer, PC. Background CRFS analysis assesses the probability of achieving additional RFS according to the RFS already accrued. Methods Patients with NAT and subsequent resection for R slash BRPC were enrolled. In the CRFS analysis, the actual 5-year RFS, 5 years rate was calculated separately in the subgroup that had already gained a given amount of RFS. The significance levels of prognostic variables associated with 5 years were assessed regarding their time-dependent dynamics in a conditional fashion. Results Among the total 397 patients, 160 survived for more than 5 years without recurrence after surgery, actual 5 years rate, 45%. The probability of 5 years incrementally increased based on the RFS already accrued. Pathological nodal and vascular involvement were significant influencers of 5 years. The patients with nodal involvement consistently remained at significantly higher risk of recurrence than those without, even after 5 years, 
whereas positivity of vascular involvement was significantly associated with the risk of recurrence only during the early postoperative period and lost its significance after three years accrued. Conclusions In NAPRAR-BRPC, the probability of gaining additional RFS increases as a function of RFS already accrued, and the significance of prognostic variables time-dependently evolves in their own patterns during the long-term postoperative period. Biliary Adverse Events During Neoadjuvant Therapy for Pancreatic Cancer Objective To describe a high-volume experience with biliary drainage before neoadjuvant therapy, NAT, for patients with operable pancreatic cancer, PC, and characterize the association between biliary adverse events, BAEs, and patient outcome. Background Patients with PC presenting with biliary obstruction require durable decompression before NAT. Methods Patients with operable PC and tumor-associated biliary obstruction were examined and grouped by the presence or absence of a BAE during NAT. The incidence, timing, and management of BAEs are described, and outcomes, including the completion of all treatment and overall survival, OS, were compared. Results Of 426 patients who received pretreatment biliary decompression, 92, 22%, experienced at least one BAE during NAT and 56, 13%, required repeat intervention on their biliary stent. The median duration of NAT was 161 days for all patients and was not different in the group that experienced BAEs. The median time from initial stent placement to BAE was 64 days. An interruption in the delivery of NAT, median 7 days, occurred in 25, 6% of 426 patients. Among 426 patients, 290, 68%, completed all NAT, including surgery, 60, 65%, of 92 patients with BAE and 230, 69%, of 334 patients without BAE, P equals 0.51. Among 290 patients who completed NAT and surgery, the median OS was 39 months, 26 months for the 60 patients with BAE and 43 months for the 230 patients without BAE, P equals 0.02. Conclusions During extended multimodal NAT for PC, 22% of patients experienced a BAE. Although BAEs were not associated with a significant interruption of treatment, patients who experienced a BAE had worse OS. The feasibility, proficiency, and mastery learning curves in 635 robotic pancreatoduodenectomies following a multicenter training program, standing on the shoulders of giants. Objective To assess the feasibility, proficiency, and mastery learning curves for robotic pancreatoduodenectomy, RPD, in second-generation RPD centers following a multicenter training program adhering to the ideal framework. Background the long learning curves for RPD reported from pioneering expert centers may discourage centers interested in starting an RPD program. However, the feasibility, proficiency, and mastery learning curves may be shorter in second-generation centers that participated in dedicated RPD training programs, although data are lacking. We report on the learning curves for RPD in second-generation centers trained in a dedicated nationwide program. 
Methods Post hoc analysis of all consecutive patients undergoing RPD in seven centers that participated in the LAYLAPS 3 training program, each with a minimum annual volume of 50 pancreatoduodenectomies, using the mandatory Dutch Pancreatic Cancer Audit, March 2016-December 2021. Cumulative sum analysis determined cutoffs for the three learning curves, operative time for the feasibility, 1. Risk-adjusted major complication, Clavin Dindo grade greater than or equal to 3, for the proficiency, 2, and textbook outcome for the mastery, 3, learning curve. Outcomes before and after the cutoffs were compared for the proficiency and mastery learning curves. A survey was used to assess changes in practice and the most valued lessons learned. Results Overall, 635 RPD were performed by 17 trained surgeons, with a conversion rate of 6.6%, and equals 42. The median annual volume of RPD per center was 22.5 plus or minus 6.8. From 2016 to 2021, the nationwide annual use of RPD increased from 0% to 23% whereas the use of laparoscopic pancreatoduodenectomy decreased from 15% to 0%. The rate of major complications was 36.9%, and equals 234, surgical site infection 6.3%, and equals 40, postoperative pancreatic fistula, grade BC 26.9%, and equals 171, and 30-day slash in hospital mortality 3.5%, and equals 22. Cutoffs for the feasibility, proficiency, and mastery learning curves were reached at 15, 62, and 84 RPD. Major morbidity and 30-day slash in hospital mortality did not differ significantly before and after the cutoffs for the proficiency and mastery learning curves. Conclusions The feasibility, proficiency, and mastery learning curves for RPD at 15, 62, and 84 procedures in second-generation centers after a multi-center training program were considerably shorter than previously reported from pioneering expert centers. The learning curve cutoffs and prior laparoscopic experience did not impact major morbidity and mortality. These findings demonstrate the safety and value of a nationwide training program for RPD in centers with sufficient volume. Either high or low risk, the Asiner score at the resection margin dichotomizes the risk spectrum of pancreas-specific complications after pancreatoduodenectomy. Background Pancreatic acinar content, AC, has been associated with pancreas-specific complications after pancreatoduodenectomy. The aim of this study was to improve the prediction ability of intraoperative risk stratification by integrating the pancreatic acinar score. Methods A training and validation cohort underwent pancreatoduodenectomy with a subsequent histologic assessment of pancreatic section margins for AC, fibrosis, FC, and fat. Intraoperative risk stratification, pancreatic texture, duct diameter, and pancreas-specific complications, postoperative hyperamylacemia, PO, postpancreatectomy acute pancreatitis, PAP, pancreatic fistula, POP, were classified according to ISC's definitions. Results In the validation cohort, N equals 373, the association of pancreas-specific complications with higher AC and lower FC was replicated, all P less than 0.001. In the entire cohort, N equals 761, the ISCS classification allocated 275, 36%, P 
patients into intermediate risk classes B, PO 32% slash PAP 3% slash POP 17%, and C, PO 36% slash PAP 9% slash POP 33%. Using the ASINR score, AC greater than or equal to 60% and or FC less than or equal to 10%, intermediate risk patients could be dichotomized into a low risk, PO 5% slash PAP 1% slash POP 6%, and a high risk, PO 51% slash PAP 9% slash POP 38%, group, all P less than 0.001. The ASINR score AUC for POP prediction was 0.70 in the ISCS intermediate risk classes. Overall, 239, 31%, patients were relocated into the high-risk group from lower ISCS risk classes using the ASINR score. Conclusions The risk of pancreas-specific complications appears to be dichotomous, either high or low, according to the ASINR score, a tool to better target the application of mitigation strategies in cases of intermediate macroscopic features. Impact of Community Privilege on Access to Care Among Patients Following Complex Cancer Surgery Objective We sought to define the impact of community privilege on variations in travel patterns and access to care at high-volume hospitals for complex surgical procedures. Background With increased emphasis on centralization of high-risk surgery, social determinants of health play a critical role in preventing equitable access to care. Privilege is a right benefit, advantage, or opportunity that positively impacts all social determinants of health. Methods The California Office of Statewide Health Planning Database identified patients who underwent esophagectomy, S, pneumonectomy, PN, pancreatectomy, PA, or proctectomy, PR, for a malignant diagnosis between 2012 and 2016 and was merged using zip codes with the Index of Concentration of Extremes, a validated metric of both spatial polarization and privilege obtained from the American Community Survey. Clustered multivariable regression was performed to assess the probability of undergoing care at a high-volume center, bypassing the nearest and high-volume center, and total real driving time and travel distance. Results Among 25,070 patients who underwent a complex oncologic operation, S, N equals 1216, 4.9%, PN, N equals 13,247, 52.8%, PD, N equals 3559, 14.2%, PR, N equals 7048, 28.1%, 5019, 20.0%, individuals resided in areas with the highest privilege, i.e., white, high-income homogeneity, whereas 4,994, 19.9%, Individuals resided in areas of the lowest privilege, i.e., black, low-income homogeneity. Median travel distance was 33.1 miles, interquartile range 14.4 to 72.2. Roughly, three-quarters of patients, overall, 74.8%, S, 35.0%, PN, 74.3%, PD, 75.2%, PR, 82.2%, sought surgical care at a high-volume center. On multivariable regression, patients residing in the least advantaged communities were less likely to undergo surgery at a high-volume hospital, overall, odds ratio 0.65, 95% C 0.52 to 0.81. 
Of note, individuals in the least privileged areas had longer travel distances, 28.5 miles, 95% C21.2 to 35.8, to reach the destination facility, as well as over 70% greater odds of bypassing a high-volume hospital to undergo surgical care at a low-volume center, odds ratio 1.74, 95% C1.29 to 2.34, versus individuals living in the highest privileged areas. Conclusions and Relevance Privilege had a marked effect on access to complex oncologic surgical care at high-volume centers. These data highlight the need to focus on privilege as a key social determinant of health that influences patient access to and utilization of healthcare resources. Operative time is associated with postoperative complications after pulmonary lobectomy. Objective To investigate the association between operative time and postoperative outcomes. Background The association between operative time and morbidity after pulmonary lobectomy has not been characterized fully. Methods Patients who underwent pulmonary lobectomy for primary lung cancer at our institution from 2010 to 2018 were reviewed. Exclusion criteria included clinical stage greater than or equal toy of disease, conversion to thoracotomy, and previous ipsilateral lung treatment. Operative time was measured from incision to closure. Relationships between operative time and outcomes were quantified using multivariable mixed effects models with surgeon-level random effects. Results In total, 1,651 patients were included. The median age was 68 years, interquartile range, 61 to 74, and 63% of patients were women. Median operative time was 3.2 hours, interquartile range, 2.7 to 3.8, for all cases, 3.0 hours for open procedures, 3.3 hours for video-assisted thoracoscopies, and 3.3 hours for robotic procedures, P equals 0.0002. Overall, 488 patients, 30%, experienced a complication, 77 patients, 5%, had a major complication, grade greater than or equal to 3, and 5 patients, 0.3%, died within 30 days of discharge. On multivariable analysis, operative time was associated with higher odds of any complication, odds ratio per hour, 1.37, 95% confidence interval, c, 1.20 to 1.57, p less than 0.0001, and major complication, odds ratio per hour, 1.41, 95% C, 1.21 to 1.64, P less than 0.0001. Operative time was also associated with longer hospital length of stay, beta, 1.09, 95% C, 1.04 to 1.14, P equals 0.001. Conclusions Longer operative time was associated with worse outcomes in patients who underwent lobectomy. Operative time is a potential risk factor to consider in the perioperative phase. Single nuclei RNA profiling reveals disruption of adipokin and inflammatory signaling in adipose tissue of burn patients. Objective 
we conducted a large-scale investigation of the systemic and adipose tissue-specific alterations in a clinical population of burn patients to identify factors that may influence hypermetabolism. Background Previous research has identified chronic disturbances in adipose tissue inflammation, lipolysis, and browning, which may drive the perpetuation of hypermetabolism following the severe adrenergic stress of a burn injury. Given that adipose tissue is thought to be a central node in the regulation of systemic metabolism, we believe that systematically delineating the pathologic role of adipose tissue postburn will lead to the identification of novel interventions to mitigate morbidity and mortality from severe burns. Methods This was a single institution cohort study, which obtained plasma and subcutaneous adipose tissue samples from severely burn adult patients over various time points during acute hospitalization. Whole body clinical, metabolic, and inflammatory mediators were assessed in plasma, while genetic analyzes through RTQPCR and single nuclei RNA sequencing were conducted in adipose tissue. Results Systemic inflammation and adrenergic stress increase IL 6 signaling, lipolysis, browning, and adipokin dysfunction in the adipose tissue of adult burn patients, which may further propagate the long term hypermetabolic response. Moreover, using single nuclei RNA sequencing, we provide the first comprehensive characterization of alterations in the adipose tissue microenvironment occurring at acute and chronic stages postburn. Conclusion We provide novel insight toward the effect of burns on adipokin release, inflammatory signaling pathways, and adipose heterogeneity over the trajectory of acute and chronic stages. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Thyroid surgery in children and adolescents, results from a multi-institutional German and Austrian database. Background. Outcomes of pediatric thyroid surgery have only been reported in smaller series or over long intervals. The aim of this multi-center study was to describe the recent outcomes of pediatric thyroid surgery in Germany and Austria. Methods. Patients aged less than or equal to 18 years who underwent thyroid surgery and were prospectively documented in the Studoc Vertical Bar Thyroid Registry between March 2017 and August 2022 were studied. Results In total, 604 patients from 90 institutions were included. The mean age was 15.4 years and 75% of patients were female. The most frequent benign pathologies were nodular goiter, 35.6%, follicular adenoma, 30.1%, and Graves' disease, 28.5%. Among 126 thyroid malignancies, papillary thyroid carcinoma was diagnosed in 77.8% of patients, follicular thyroid carcinoma was diagnosed in 10.3% of patients, and medullary thyroid carcinoma was diagnosed in 8.7% of patients. Lymph node metastases were found in 45.9% of patients with papillary thyroid carcinoma and in 36.4% of patients with medullary thyroid carcinoma. Vascular invasion was found in 62.9% of patients with follicular thyroid carcinoma. The mean tumor diameters were 18, 42 and 13 mm in patients with papillary thyroid carcinoma, follicular thyroid carcinoma, and medullary thyroid carcinoma respectively. Early postoperative recurrent laryngeal nerve injury was seen in 27 of 556 patients, 4.9%, 22 of 617, 
3.6%, nerves at risk with intermittent intraoperative nerve monitoring 5 of 237, 2.1%, nerves at risk with continuous intraoperative nerve monitoring. Persistent recurrent laryngeal nerve injury was documented in 4 of 556 patients, 0.7%. Early postoperative hypoparathyroidism correlated with Graves' disease, thyroid carcinoma, and lymph node dissection. Conclusion Papillary thyroid carcinoma and follicular thyroid carcinoma in children were often advanced at presentation. Persistent or recurrent lymph node metastases were mainly seen in papillary thyroid carcinoma. Overall survival was excellent, but longer follow-up is needed. Angiosarcoma in the breast, a population-based cohort from Sweden. Background Breast angiosarcoma is a rare disease mostly observed in breast cancer, BC, patients who have previously received radiotherapy, RT. Little is known about angiosarcoma etiology, management, and outcome. The study aim was to estimate risk and to characterize breast angiosarcoma in a Swedish population-based cohort. Methods The Swedish Cancer Registry was searched for breast angiosarcoma between 1992 and 2018 in three Swedish healthcare regions, population 5.5 million. Information on previous BC, RT, management, and outcome were retrieved from medical records. Results Overall, 49 angiosarcomas located in the breast, chest wall or axilla were identified, 8 primary and 41 secondary to BC treatment. Median age was 51 and 73 years, respectively. The minimum latency period of secondary angiosarcoma after a BC diagnosis was 4 years, range 4 to 21 years. The cumulative incidence of angiosarcoma after breast RT increased continuously, reaching 1.4 after 20 years. Among 44 women with angiosarcoma treated by surgery, 29 developed subsequent local recurrence. Median recurrence-free survival was 3.4 and 1.8 years for primary and secondary angiosarcoma, respectively. The five-year overall survival probability for the whole cohort was 50%, 95% CI, 21% minus 100%, for primary breast angiosarcoma and 35%, 95% CI, 23% minus 54%, for secondary angiosarcoma. Conclusion Breast angiosarcoma is a rare disease strongly associated with a history of previous BCRT. Overall survival is poor with high rates of local recurrences and distant metastasis. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Clinical Presentation, Outcomes, and threshold for repair by sex in degenerative saccular versus fusiform aneurysms in the descending thoracic aorta. Objective Saccular shaped thoracic aortic aneurysms, TAAs, are often treated at smaller diameters compared with fusiform TAAs, despite a lack of strong clinical evidence to support this practice. The aim of this study was to examine differences in presentation, treatment, and outcomes between saccular TAAs and fusiform TAAs in the descending thoracic aorta. We also examined the need for sex-specific treatment thresholds for TAAs. Methods 
All Vascular Quality Initiative, VQI, Patients Undergoing Thoracic Endovascular Aneurysm Repair, TVAR, for degenerative TAAs in the descending thoracic aorta from 2012 through 2022 were reviewed. Patients were stratified by urgency, emergent-slash-urgent versus elective repairs, ruptured-slash-symptomatic. Demographics, comorbidities, anatomical-slash-procedural characteristics, and outcomes for fusiform TAAs and saccular TAAs were compared. Cumulative distribution curves were used to plot the proportion of patients who underwent emergent-slash-urgent repair according to sex-stratified aortic diameter. Results Among 655 emergent-slash-urgent TVARs, 37% were performed for saccular TAAs, whereas among 1,352 elective TVARs, 35% had saccular TAA morphology. Compared with fusiform TAAs, saccular TAAs more frequently underwent emergent-slash-urgent, ruptured-slash-symptomatic, TVAR below the repair threshold in both females, less than 50 mm, 38% versus 10%, relative risk, 3.39, 95% confidence interval, C, 2.04 to 5.70, P less than 0.001 and males, less than 55 mm, 47% versus 21%, relative risk, 2.26, 95% C, 1.60 to 3.18, P less than 0.001. Moreover, among patients with emergent-slash-urgent fusiform TAAs, females presented at smaller diameters compared with males, whereas there was no difference in preoperative aneurysm diameter among patients with saccular TAAs. Regarding outcomes, Emergent-slash-urgent treated saccular TAAs had similar postoperative outcomes and five-year mortality compared with fusiform TAAs. Nevertheless, in the elective cohort, patients with saccular TAAs had similar postoperative mortality compared with those with fusiform TAAs, but a lower rate of postoperative spinal cord ischemia, 0.7% versus 3.2%, P equals 0.010. Conclusions Patients with saccular TAAs underwent emergent-slash-urgent TVAR at smaller diameters than those with fusiform TAAs, supporting current clinical practice guideline recommendations that saccular TAAs warrant treatment at smaller diameters. Furthermore, these data support a sex-specific treatment threshold for patients with fusiform TAAs, but not for those with saccular TAAs. Although there were no differences in outcomes following TVAR between morphologies in the emergent-slash-urgent cohort, Patients with saccular TAAs who were treated electively were associated with higher five-year mortality compared with those with fusiform TAAs. Using machine learning to predict outcomes following open abdominal aortic aneurysm repair. Objective. Prediction of outcomes following open abdominal aortic aneurysm. AAA, repair remains challenging with a lack of widely used tools to guide perioperative management. We develop machine learning, ML, algorithms that predict outcomes following open AAA repair. Methods The Vascular Quality Initiative, VQI, database was used to identify patients who underwent elective open AAA repair between 2003 and 2023. Input features included 52 preoperative demographic-slash-clinical variables. All available preoperative variables from VQI were used to maximize predictive performance. The primary outcome was in-hospital major adverse cardiovascular event, MACE, 
composite of myocardial infarction, stroke, or death. Secondary outcomes were individual components of the primary outcome, other in hospital complications, and one year mortality and any reintervention. We split our data into training, 70%, and test, 30%, sets. Using tenfold cross validation, six ML models were trained using preoperative features extreme gradient boosting, XG boost, random forest, naive Bayes classifier, support vector machine, artificial neural network and logistic regression. The primary model evaluation metric was area under the receiver operating characteristic curve, or ROC. Model robustness was evaluated with calibration plot and Breyer score. The top 10 predictive features in our final model were determined based on variable importance scores. Performance was assessed on subgroups based on age, sex, race, ethnicity, rurality, median area deprivation index, proximal clamp site, prior aortic surgery, and concomitant procedures. Results. Overall, 12,027 patients were included. The primary outcome of in-hospital MACE occurred in 630 patients, 5.2%. Compared with patients without a primary outcome, those who developed in-hospital MACE were older with more comorbidities, demonstrated poorer functional status, had more complex aneurysms, and were more likely to require concomitant procedures. Our best-performing prediction model for in-hospital MACE was XGBoost, achieving an OROC of 0.93, 95% confidence interval, 0.92 to 0.94. Comparatively, logistic regression had an OROC of 0.71, 95% confidence interval, 0.70 to 0.73. For secondary outcomes, XGBoost achieved OROCs between 0.84 and 0.94. The calibration plot showed good agreement between predicted and observed event probabilities with a Breyer score of 0.05. Conclusions Open AAA repair outcomes can be accurately predicted using preoperative data with our ML models, which perform better than logistic regression. Our automated algorithms can help guide risk mitigation strategies for patients being considered for open AAA repair to improve outcomes. Outcomes of lower extremity revascularization in octogenarians and nonagenarians for intermittent claudication. Objective. Revascularization for intermittent claudication, IC, due to infrainguinal peripheral arterial disease, PAD, is dependent on durability and expected benefit. We aim to assess outcomes for IC interventions in octogenarians and nonagenarians, age greater than or equal to 80 years and those younger than 80 years, aged less than 80 years. Methods The Vascular Quality Initiative was queried, 2010-2020, for peripheral vascular interventions, PVIs, and infrainguinal bypasses, IIBs, performed to treat IC. Baseline characteristics, procedural details, and outcomes were analyzed, comparing age greater than or equal to 80 years and age less than 80 years. Results there were 84,210 PVIs, 12.1% age greater than or equal to 80 years and 87.9% age less than 80 years, and 10,980 IIBs, 7.4% age greater than or equal to 80 years and 92.6% age less than 80 years, for IC. For PVI, patients age greater than or equal to 80 years more often underwent femoropoplyteal, 
70.7% versus 58.1%, and in frapoplydial, 19% versus 9.3%, interventions, and less often iliac interventions, 32.1% versus 48%, p less than 0.001 for all. Patients aged greater than or equal to 80 years had more perioperative hematomas, 3.5% versus 2.4%, and 30-day mortality, 0.9% versus 0.4%, p less than 0.001. At one year post-intervention, the age greater than or equal to 80 years cohort had fewer independently ambulatory patients, 80% versus 91.5%, p less than 0.001. Kaplan-Meier analysis showed patients aged greater than or equal to 80 years had lower re-intervention-slash-amputation-free survival, 81.4% versus 86.8%, amputation-free survival, 87.1% versus 94.1%, and survival, 92.3% versus 96.8%, p less than 0.001, at one year after PVI. Risk-adjusted analysis showed that age greater than or equal to 80 years was associated with higher re-intervention-slash-amputation-slash-death, hazard ratio, HR, 1.22, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.1 to 1.35, amputation-slash-death, HR, 1.85, 95% C, 1.61 to 2.13, and mortality, HR, 1.92, 95% C, 1.66 to 2.23, p less than 0.001 for all, for PVI. For IIB, patients aged greater than or equal to 80 years more often had an infrapoplydial target, 28.4% versus 19.4%, and had higher 30-day mortality, 1.3% versus half a percent, renal failure, 4.1% versus 2.2%, and cardiac complications, 5.4% versus 3.1%, p less than 0.001. At one year, the age greater than or equal to 80 years group had fewer independently ambulatory patients, 81.7% versus 88.8%, p equals 0.02. Kaplan-Meier analysis showed that the age greater than or equal to 80 years cohort had lower re-intervention slash amputation-free survival, 75.7% versus 81.5%, amputation-free survival, 86.9% versus 93.9%, and survival, 90.4% versus 96.5%, p less than 0.001 for all. Conclusions Octogenarians and nonagenarians have greater perioperative morbidity and long-term ambulatory impairment, limb loss, and mortality after PVI and IIB for claudication. Risks of intervention on elderly patients with claudication should be carefully weighed against the perceived benefits of revascularization. Medical and exercise therapy efforts should be maximized in this population. Obesity drives secondary procedures to achieve access maturation and end-stage renal disease. Background Establishing long-term arteriovenous access is an important component in the long-term care of a patient with end-stage renal disease. The increasing frequency of obesity is reported to impact the access management of end-stage renal disease patients. This study aims to evaluate the outcomes of arteriovenous fistulae, AVF, in obese and non-obese patients. Methods 
A retrospective review of all patients over 10 years with primary autogenous AVF, radiocephalic, brachiocephalic, and brachial bacillic, was undertaken at a single center. Patients were subcategorized by body mass index into non-obese, class 1, 2, and 3 obesity. Outcomes of maturation, successful progression to hemodialysis, re-intervention, functional dialysis, continuous hemodialysis for three consecutive months, and patency were examined. Results From January 1999 to December 2019, 2,311 patients, 67% female, mean age, 61 plus or minus 15 years, underwent primary AVF placement, 12% radiocephalic, 53% brachiocephalic, and 35% brachial bacillic. 41% were non-obese, 29% had class I obesity, 19% had class II obesity, and 11% had class III obesity. The majority of patients were diabetic and Hispanic. The 30-day major adverse cardiovascular event rate was elevated in class 2, 0.20%, and class 3, 0.50%, obesity compared with class I obesity, 0.15%, and non-obese, 0.05%. The 30-day morbidity rate was higher in all classes of obesity, half a percent vs 0. 3% versus 0.2% versus 0.05% for class 3 versus class 2 versus class I obesity and non-obese, respectively. Early thrombosis was significantly increased in class 2, 9%, and class 3 obesity, 12%, compared with class I obesity, 5%, and non-obese, 3%. There was a twofold increase in procedures to affect maturation in class 2, 51%, and class 3, 74%, Obesity compared with class I obesity, 22%, and non-obese, 34%. Secondary patency at 3 years was significantly lower in class 3, 62 plus or minus 4%, and class 2, 79 plus or minus 3%, compared with class I obesity, 87 plus or minus 2%, and non-obese, 93 plus or minus 4%. All classes of obesity required significantly more secondary interventions per year compared with non-obese, 3.9 versus 3.1 versus 2.5 versus 1.4 secondary interventions per year for class 3 versus class 2 versus class I obesity and non-obese, respectively. Conclusions Advancing obesity class is associated with an increased number of procedures to achieve AVF maturation and is associated with poorer patency and functionality as the category of obesity advances. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Factors associated with one-year mortality in elderly patients age greater than or equal to 80 years, with cancer undergoing major abdominal surgery, a retrospective cohort study. Background The number of elderly patients undergoing major abdominal surgery is increasing, but the factors affecting their postoperative outcomes remain unclear. This study aimed to identify the factors associated with one-year mortality among elderly patients, age greater than or equal to 80 years, with cancer undergoing major abdominal surgery. Methods. This retrospective cohort study was conducted from March 2009 to December 2020. The study enrolled 378 patients 80 years old or older who underwent major abdominal surgery. The main outcome was one-year mortality, and the factors associated with mortality were analyzed. 
Results Of the 378 patients, 92 died at one year, 24.3%, whereas the 30-day mortality rate was 4%, and equals 15. In the multivariate analysis, the factors independently associated with one-year mortality were preoperative Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, ECOG, performance status, PS, score higher than 1, odds ratio, or 3.189, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.595 to 6.377, P equals 0.001, preoperative weight loss greater than 3 kg, or 2.145, 95% C, 1.044 1.044 to 4.404, P equals 0.038, use of an intraoperative vasopressor or 3.090, 95% C, 1.188 to 8.042, P equals 0.021, and postoperative red blood cell units, or 1.212, 95% C, 1.045 to 1.405, P equals 0.011. Survival was associated with perioperative management according to an enhanced recovery after surgery, ERAS, protocol or 0.370, 95% C, 0.160 to 0.854, P equals 0.006, and supermesocolic surgery or 0.371, 95% C, 0.158 to 0.871, P equals 0.023. Conclusion The study identified several factors associated with an encouraging one-year mortality rate in this setting. These results highlight the need for identification of suitable targets to optimize pre-, intra-, and post-operative management in order to improve outcomes for this vulnerable population. Characteristics predicting short-term and long-term health-related quality of life in patients with esophageal cancer after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy and esophagectomy. Background Esophagectomy is associated with lasting effect on health-related quality of life, her call. Patients desire detailed information on the expected impact of treatment on their postoperative, her call. The aim of the present study is to identify clinical pathological characteristics predictive for changes in short-term and long-term HERCAL after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy, NCRT, and surgery. Methods HERCAL was measured using EWRC QLQC30 and QLQO's 24 questionnaires prior to NCRT, 3, 6, 9, and 12 months postoperatively and at a minimum of 6 years postoperatively. Based on previous experience and available literature, Several subgroups were predefined for different clinical pathological characteristics, baseline global HERCAL, WHO performance status, histology, tumor stage and tumor location. The primary endpoints of the present study were the change compared to baseline in the HERCAL dimensions physical functioning and eating problems. Secondary endpoints were global HERCAL, fatigue and emotional problems. Results In total, 134, 76%, of 177 patients who received her call questionnaires, responded at baseline. Patients who reported a high baseline global her call had a more severe deterioration in eating problems, plus 14.5 to plus 18.0, global her call, minus 16.0 to minus 28.0, and fatigue, plus 10.5 to plus 14.9, 
up to six years postoperatively compared to patients who reported a low baseline global Hercal. Patients who had stage 2 tumor, UX 6th edition, had a more severe deterioration in eating problems, plus 14.6 to plus 19.0, and global Hercal, minus 10.1 to minus 17.1, than patients who had stage 3 tumor. Conclusions The results suggest that patients with locally advanced esophageal cancer in favorable condition at baseline decline more in terms of various Hercal outcomes. Next article is from International Journal of Surgery. Social Vulnerability and Firearm Violence, Geospatial Analysis of Five U.S. Cities Background Firearm violence is now endemic to certain U.S. neighborhoods. Understanding factors that impact a neighborhood's susceptibility to firearm violence is crucial for prevention. Using a nationally standardized measure to characterize community-level firearm violence risk has not been broadly studied but could enhance prevention efforts. Thus, we sought to examine the association between firearm violence and the social, structural, and geospatial determinants of health, as defined by the Social Vulnerability Index, SVI. Study Design In this cross-sectional study, we merged 2018 SVI data on census tract with shooting incidents between 2015 and 2021 from Baltimore, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York City, and Philadelphia. We used negative binomial regression to associate the SVI with shooting incidents per 1,000 people in a census tract. Moranzi statistics and spatial lag models were used for geospatial analysis. Results We evaluated 71,296 shooting incidents across 4,415 census tracts. 55% of shootings occurred in 9.4% of census tracts. In all cities combined, a decile rise in SVI resulted in a 37% increase in shooting incidents, p less than 0.001. A similar relationship existed in each city, 30% increase in Baltimore, p less than 0.001, 50% in Chicago, p less than 0.001, 28% in Los Angeles, p less than 0.001, 34% in New York City, P less than 0.001, and 41% in Philadelphia, P less than 0.001. Shootings were highly clustered within the most vulnerable neighborhoods. Conclusions In five major U.S. cities, firearm violence was concentrated in neighborhoods with high social vulnerability. A tool such as the SVI could be used to inform prevention efforts by directing resources to communities most in need and identifying factors on which to focus these programs and policies. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Healthcare utilization outcomes in patients with blunt chest wall trauma following discharge from the emergency department, a retrospective, observational data linkage study. Background Although much is published reporting clinical outcomes in the patients with blunt chest wall trauma who are admitted to hospital from the ED, less is known about the patient's recovery when they are discharged directly without admission. The aim of this study was to investigate the healthcare utilization outcomes in adult patients with blunt chest wall trauma, discharged directly from ED in a trauma unit in the United Kingdom. Methods This was a longitudinal, retrospective, 
Single Center, Observational Study Incorporating Analysis of Linked Datasets, Using the Secure Anonymized Information Linkage Databank for Admissions to a Trauma Unit in the Wales, between January 1, 2016, and December 31, 2020. All patients 16 years or older with a primary diagnosis of blunt chest while trauma discharged directly home were included. Data were analyzed using a negative binomial regression model. Results There were 3,205 presentations to the ED included. Mean age was 53 years, 57% were male, with the predominant injury mechanism being a low-velocity fall, 50%. 93% of the cohort sustained between 0 and 3 rib fractures. 4% of the cohort were reported to have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and 4% using pre-injury anticoagulants. On regression analysis, inpatient admissions, outpatient appointments and primary care contacts all significantly increased in the 12-week period post-injury, compared with the 12-week period pre-injury, odds ratio or, 1.63, 95% confidence interval, c, 1.33-1.99, p less than 0.001, or, 1.28, 95% c, 1.14-1.43, p less than 0.001, or, 1.02, 95% C, 1.01 to 1.02, P less than 0.001, respectively. Risk of healthcare resource utilization increased significantly with each additional year of age, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and pre-injury anticoagulant use, all P less than 0.05. Social deprivation and a number of rib fracture did not impact outcomes. Conclusion the results of this study demonstrate the need for appropriate signposting and follow-up for patients with blunt chest wall trauma presenting to the ED, not requiring admission to the hospital. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. The Proteomic and Metabolomic Signatures of Isolated and Polytrauma Traumatic Brain Injury Background. The interactions of polytrauma, shock, and traumatic brain injury, TBI, on thromboinflammatory responses remain unclear and warrant investigation as we strive towards personalized medicine in trauma. We hypothesize that comprehensive omics characterization of plasma would identify unique metabolic and thromboinflammatory pathways following TBI. Methods. Patients were categorized as TBI versus non-TBI and stratified into polytrauma or minimally injured. Discovery omics was employed to quantify the top differently expressed proteins and metabolites of TBI and non-TBI patient groups. Results TBI compared to non-TBI showed gene enrichment in coagulation-slash-complement cascades and neuronal markers. TBI was associated with elevation in glycolytic metabolites and conjugated bile acids. Division into isolated TBI versus polytrauma showed further distinction of proteomic and metabolomic signatures. Conclusion Identified mediators involving in neural inflammation, blood-brain barrier disruption, and bile acid building leading to TBI-associated coagulopathy offer suggestions for follow-up mechanistic studies to target personalized interventions. The in vitro influence of urea concentration on thrombolistrography in patients with and without end-stage renal disease. Background 
End-stage renal disease, ESRD, is associated with platelet dysfunction but also thromboembolic complications. The specific role of increased blood urea nitrogen, BUN, on coagulation is unclear. We aim to characterize thrombolistography, TEG, parameters from males and females with ESRD and normal kidney function and evaluate if exogenous urea in vitro reproduced those TEG differences. Methods We collected blood samples from 20 living kidney donors and 20 kidney recipients. TEG was performed without and with two increasing urea concentrations in vitro. TEG parameters were compared between recipients and donors. Results Blood from kidney recipients showed baseline increased maximum amplitude, MA, and shortened time to maximum amplitude, TMA, compared to donors. These differences were not confirmed in females. In all patients, BUN was inversely correlated with TMA, R equals minus 0.342, P equals 0.031. In males, BUN and creatinine concentration showed a direct correlation with MA, 0.583, P equals 0.007, and an inverse correlation with TMA, R equals minus 0.520, P equals 0.019. Urea in vitro decreased our time, P equals 0.005, and increased LY30, P equals 0.009, in donors but not recipients. Conclusions ESRD is associated with increased MA and decreased TMA on TAG. No change in MA was observed with increasing urea concentrations in vitro. Gender-specific variability in TAG parameters were observed. First steps toward a big change, a pilot study to implement the brain injury guidelines across a 24-hospital system. Introduction The modified brain injury guidelines, big, support a subset of low-risk patients to be managed without repeat head computed tomography, RHCT, neurosurgical consult, NSC, or hospital transfer slash admission. This pilot aimed to assess big implementation at a single facility to inform future system-wide implementation. Methods Single Cohort Pilot Trial at a Level I Trauma Center, December 2021, August 2022. Adult patients included if TITCH meeting big one or two criteria. Big three patients excluded. Results No patients required neurosurgical intervention. 72 RHCT and 83 NSC were prevented. 21 isolated big one were safely discharged home from the ED. No hospital readmissions for TITCH. Protocol adherence rate was 92%. Conclusion Implementation of the MIG at a single trauma center is feasible and optimizes resource utilization. This pilot study will inform an implementation trial of the MIG across a 24-hospital integrated health system. Characteristics of Pathologic Complete Response for Locally Advanced Rectal Cancer Background Neoadjuvant chemoradiation, NACRT, is the standard of care for locally advanced rectal cancers. The purpose of this study was to determine patient and tumor factors associated with a pathologic complete response, PCR. Methods 
The National Surgical Quality Improvement Program Proctectomy Targeted Database was utilized to identify all patients from 2016 to 2020 who underwent NACRA followed by proctectomy with curative intent for T34N02 rectal cancers. Results A total of 1891 patients were included, of which 253, 13.4%, demonstrated a PCR. Pretreatment N0 staging was associated with a higher rate of PCR, 18.9%, when compared to N1, 6.7%, and N2, 6.7%, P less than 0.0001. Patients clinically staged at T3N0 had the highest rate of PCR, 19.5%. Gender, age, race, weight, smoking status, and tumor height were not associated with PCR. Conclusions Patients with CN0 disease were more likely to experience a PCR compared to CN12 patients. Tumor height relative to anal verge or patient demographics were not associated with PCR. Outcomes of subsequent abdominal operations after an initial ventral hernia repair. Introduction Nearly 20% of ventral hernia repair, VHR, patients require a subsequent abdominal operation, SAO, and mesh position may impact the complexity and outcome of the SAO. Methods Retrospective review of VHR with mesh from 2006 to 2020 from an internal database and the AIC. Primary outcomes measured incidence, complexity, and complications of SAO relative to mesh position. Results SAO was required in 433 of 2,539, 17.1% patients, totaling 671 operations, 197,893, 22.1%, with intraperitoneal mesh, IPM, and 236,1646, 14.3%, with extraperitoneal mesh, EPM, P less than 0.001. SAO was directly related to VHR in 180, 232 total SAOs, and unrelated in 253, 439 total SAOs. There were no significant differences in complications after SAO between IPM and EPM, nor any difference in adhesion complexity. Conclusion Incidence of SAO is higher with IPM, but surgical outcomes are similar. Due to the risk of secondary mesh infection with IPM, significantly more of these were removed at the time of SAO. Rectus to defect ratio for estimating the complexity of ventral hernia repair, is it reliable for robotic surgery? Introduction The rectus to defect ratio, RDR, has been previously described as a metric which enables surgeons to estimate the need to perform additional myofascial release, AMR, in addition to open rives stopa retromuscular hernia repair. We sought to validate this measurement specifically for patients undergoing robotic totally extraperitoneal, ETEP, hernia repair. Methods A retrospective chart review of 188 patients who underwent robotic ventral hernia repair via ETEP approach. RDR on preoperative CT was compared to the final operation rendered. The primary endpoint was the RDR's ability to predict the need for TAR to achieve fascial closure. Results Of 188 patients, 154 were repaired with rectus myofascial release, 
while 34 also required TAR. There was a linear decrease in the need for TAR with increasing RDR. RDR 1 to 1.49, N equals 12, required TAR in 66.7% of cases, RDR 1.5 to 1.99, N equals 25, in 43.8%, RDR 2 to 2.49, N equals 31, in 29%, and RDR greater than 2.5, N equals 151, in just 5.8%. Conclusion the RDR accurately predicts the need for TAR to achieve fascial closure during robotic ETEP ventral hernia repair. An RDR greater than 2.5 portends fascial closure without TAR 94.2% of cases. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.